Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What's up? Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Glad to be with you. Sports Talk Mississippi. Show's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs and you're in North Mississippi, let them help. You're dealing with great people who've been financing land for over 100 years. They know what they're doing. They're fantastic to work with. And there's probably a branch location near you. You can find those on the website. You can also grab the phone number and give them a call MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, Borky is the person that kind of builds the content of the show every day. He lays out a plan. We, generally speaking, kind of stick to that plan. He schedules guests and everything else. Sometimes I will see something in the rundown, the show content plan that Michael has put together, and I will go, Oh, that's good. The only problem is, sometimes it's a long way away. So I'm going to throw this out and let you think on it a little bit, and we're going to circle back to it. We may not wait all the way till the 5 o'clock hour, because it's that good, I think. Here's the idea, the topic. I want you to think on it a little bit, because I'm not sure that just the immediate answer you might throw out is where you'll ultimately land. Here's what, Borky, do you want to read it or you want me to? Go for it. Six quarterbacks currently at the top of the Heisman odds list. Tua Tonga-Valoa is the odds-on favorite at 7-4. to four. Then Joe Burrow at 3-1. to one. Jalen Hurts at 7-2. to two. Justin Fields at Ohio State at 9-1. to one. Trevor Lawrence at 12-1. to one. And Jake Fromm at 14-1. to one. Here's the question Borky poses. Of those six guys, down six, two minutes to play, ball on your own 25, who do you pick to lead the drive? That's good stuff. And I've ranked them one through six. But I'm not entirely sure that I love my ranking either. So I'm going to keep stewing on it. You do it a little bit as well. Be thinking about that. Tua, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. Down six, two minutes to play, starting at your own 25. We'll give them one timeout. Who's the guy that you want to try and engineer a game-winning drive to come from behind with all the chips on the table? I don't care if it's a playoff game, conference championship game, rivalry game, national championship game. Just make the national championship game if you want to. Which guy would you pick? And maybe what order would you take them? 
Good to be with you this afternoon. You can uh, text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Powerful news, Samsung Galaxy Note 10 is finally here, and C Spire celebrating with an equally powerful deal. For a limited time, buy the Galaxy Note 10, get $750 off your choice of Samsung Galaxy device. C Spire, customer inspired. Borky, what's up? Not a whole lot. You having a good Wednesday? Um, it's fine. Uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I get to see a little guy for the final time before he actually comes into the world. So that'll Sonic- be pretty cool. Tomorrow's a sonogram day. Yeah, I'll get to really get a good look at him. That's pretty cool. What's the due date? It keeps changing, but uh, the current one is the 24th. But we'll, I mean, we'll find out for sure tomorrow. I mean, it, uh, with the rate and the size that he is, uh, I mean, she, uh, this is going to sound mean. It's not. It's just the truth. It, he looks like he's ready. Um, <laughs> so it could be At least sooner. you said he looks like he's ready instead of she looks like she's ready. Yeah. And, I mean, she, she's she's blessed with genetics. I mean, she's five foot three and, you know, barely pushing 100 pounds. So it's going to look bigger on her anyway. But... Uh, we'll find out tomorrow if if that'll change, if he's got to come sooner or what. But uh, yeah, excited about that. We need to put together some sort of a uh, a baby date pool, don't we? It's a great idea, actually. Got to find something to give away if you win, though. Miranda Lambert tickets. <laughs> we got to do that this week. We do have a pair of Miranda Lambert tickets to uh, give away in the show later this afternoon. Hot commodity. Hey, Dad. Happy Wednesday. What's going on, man? Good to be with you. What's up? Eh, not a whole lot today. Did you, just, did you do some hot yoga? I did. Get your get your sweat on? I did that. I walked about three and a half miles, and I got an oil change. I did, did an interview something? for the Thunder and Lightning podcast. I did the Thunder and Lightning podcast. It's a lot of good stuff today. I got my oil change today also. It's a good day for that, I suppose. Yeah. Hey, Rippy. What's up? How are you? Wonderful. Yesterday, productive at uh, post-practice press conferences? Yeah. The overarching storyline of, you know, the secondary and such was uh, well-addressed. Not the quarterback or anything. Yay for college irrational paranoia. (laughs) If you're not feeling his sarcasm, uh, that's uh, probably a you problem uh, right now. So no chance to... It couldn't uh, have been any thicker. Yeah. Yeah, no, no kidding. Uh, so you didn't get to talk to Plumley? No, we did not. Did you ask to talk to him? Yes, we did. So, so you requested John Rice Plumley for a post-practice interview. Do you think he'll be available today? Doubtful. Any rationale as to why? Coach's decision. But if you're talking about rationale, then we're having a whole different discussion. What do you think the rationale is for not... Allowing John Rice Plumley to talk. I, I, any irrational rationale? Does that make any sense? What do you think the reason is? I don't know. I don't think there is a good one. Are they convinced that he's going to say something he's not supposed to say? He's going to give away the, the game plan. Day. He's a well-spoken kid. Makes no sense. But whatever. That's their prerogative. It's not going to matter. See, hey, Dad. At least you don't have to deal with anything like that where you can't get the information you need to report. More or less, yeah. I was surprised to get Stevens last night, though. Really? So Tommy Stevens was there post-practice? Uh, Stevens and Schrader both uh, came out and spoke with us, yeah. What'd they have to say? 
Uh, they're both preparing as if they're going to start on uh, on Saturday. And with Tra- in Trader's case, you know he's perfectly uh, willing to, you know, get back on the bench if should uh, Stevens be healthy. But he's not excited about that. I'll be honest with right? you, talking to that guy, I don't know what he gets excited about, man. That guy is, like I said before, he's just he's just pretty chill. So is that like see ice water in the veins him. chill, or is that like... You know, I, I haven't know. seen... Ice water in the veins is the kind of thing I, I got to see him in a game doing that. But just talking to the media, he's just very laid back about it. I, I, I see why Moorhead likes him. He's almost like an extension of himself. Hmm. What did Tommy Stevens say? Do you feel good? Feeling better. Uh, and if you uh, today on the teleconference, Joe Moorhead affirmed that, said that Stevens ran with the ones yesterday, uh, as did Schrader, uh, and that Stevens is throwing the ball about as well as he has since the season started. So, I mean, if Tommy Stevens is healthy, he's the starter, right? Like, no yes. questions asked? Yes, 100%. Okay. So we've got that out of the way. A uh, bunch coming up this afternoon. Ross Dellinger from Sports, uh, Sports Illustrated will join us. We'll talk big-picture college football stuff with him. Michael Casagrande uh, will join us to talk a little bit about uh, Alabama. John Harris joins us. We'll go through some NFL stuff with him. Is there a quarterback competition? I think Haydad just put that idea to rest in Starkville. If Matt Corral was... 100% right now. Do you think there'd be a competition happening this week? No. Leash would be shorter, though. Do you have a gut at this point as to whether or not he plays on Saturday? I'd like to see whether he practiced today or not. But did not practice yesterday, right? Was out there, was seen out there in a green jersey beforehand, but no, not during. The portion of a practice media we're allowed to see. There you go. Um... Things are not, at least in the short term, getting better on Rocky Top. Tennessee has had more players leave the team, and I say more because they had a couple of guys that left the team after the Georgia State loss to begin the season. And three more have left, and one of them is a very recognizable name. It's part of that receiving core that we talked about coming into the year that we thought was going to be really, really good. Um, there's very little, frankly, so far about Tennessee this year that has been, never mind very, very good, but good at all. But players leaving midseason for a team that is struggling and has a daunting schedule in front of it certainly does not fall into the good category. Jalen R- uh, Ramsey in the NFL. Wanted a trade, played last Thursday night, missed a day of practice because he was ill, missed another day of practice because of a mysterious back injury. What's going on with him? Is he just looking for a way out, or is there something else going on? And a whole lot more. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Renaissance Bank Studio. Jump on the C Spire text line with us, or send us a tweet at Sports Talk M-I-S-S in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Let's dive in and talk a little bit more about the quarterback situations in Starkville and in Oxford. Injury, part of the conversation at both of those places. So, hey, Dad, let's dive a little bit deeper into what you heard 
yesterday from um, Tommy Stevens and Garrett Schrader, and also what Joe Moorhead has kind of said uh, about those guys. You mentioned a second ago that on the SEC teleconference, um, Moorhead indicated that both of those guys had gotten reps with the ones and the twos, and that Tommy Stevens is progressing and is throwing it as well now as he really has at any point since the start of fall camp. Yeah, and that, that's obviously a very good sign for Mississippi State for this weekend. But I, I do believe that State's best chance to win this game is is to have Stevens in there. I think they need to be able to do a little bit more in the passing game. Um, but both of these guys, like I said, and this goes sort of go back goes back to the fall to fall camp when when it was you know Stevens and Keaton Thompson that Stevens just seems to have a good attitude about things, and, and you know he he realizes that regardless of what happens, you know he's he's going to be out there to play, and that's how it's going to go. Uh, and the same seems to go for, for Schrader. Schrader, every time we talk to him, he says, you know, whenever Tommy's back, that's it. I'll I'll, I'll go back to what I was doing. So I feel like you know they're saying the right things anyway. Obviously, you know, you never know what anybody's thinking, but it seems like there's there's no real quarterback controversy. Wouldn't be the right word, maybe situation or whatever you want to call it. But uh, I feel pretty confident that right now, uh, the, these two guys, both of them are, are preparing to play, and both of them are could start. For Mississippi State. I, right now, if I had to make a, a bet, it's like 51-49 for me, Schrader. Okay. You So you still think Schrader? I think if Tommy Stevens is not 100% that it will be Schrader. Is that because of the open date next week? Yeah, I think that plays a big part in it, yeah. I mean, why would it not? I mean, you, you've got an extra week to get him healthy. If he's not 100%, if he's not completely ready to go, why take any risks? There are times when a label related to injuries is entirely unfair. We've talked about DK Metcalf and the label that he had to wear going into the NFL draft about injuries because he had kind of a freak broken ankle, whatever the foot injury was, his freshman year, and then he had the neck injury a year ago. And you go, well, those things aren't related, and those were weird deals, but because it happened twice – he, he got that label. Fair, right. unfair, whatever. Right. Is Tommy Stevens in danger of fair or unfair getting the label of being injury prone? Yeah, I mean, how could he not be at this point? I mean, that, you know, he left Penn State with an injury, and, uh, you know, now he's suffering an injury here. And like I said, they're sort of pretty much unrelated from what I can tell. Um, so he may, the, yeah, he the may get that. The Penn State injury was lower body, right? I, I, <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> um, what but, was it? But like it was, you said, was it a foot injury? Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's what they, I remember. They may have gone into more specifics up there in Happy Valley. You know, you don't get here in Starkville. Um, but I mean, it's like you said, it, it, it is on an unfair label for sure because you know this is football and people get injured and you know if if you if like you said if if he was constantly injuring the same thing over and over again that would be one thing but as he's not. For sure, he's not an injury. I don't think he's an injury-prone quarterback, but that label could very well uh, get attached to him if he can't, you know, get back on the field pretty soon. What's the level of concern? I mean, we're using deductive reasoning here, but it's been a shoulder injury, right? What what what's, upper body? Yeah. What what's the level of concern about that being something? that could be recurring or being one hit away from re-injures it? Well, I mean, 
you know, we look big picture. You're always just one hit away from just about any kind of injury on a football field. But that said, yeah, but you know what I mean. A shoulder, especially, you know, because you're going to be throwing the football and you're going to be, you know, constantly using that arm. Obviously, it's something to be worried about. So, I think that's why they want to make sure they want to be positive that he's completely healed before they throw him out there on the football field again. Um. Anything Mississippi State would do differently if Garrett Schrader plays versus Tommy Stevens play? Like from a game plan standpoint? Yeah, I think from from a game plan standpoint, with Stevens there, you'd probably feel a little bit more comfortable passing the ball early, trying to take some shots deep and and take the top off of that Auburn defense. Uh, Whereas with Schrader, you might feel a little bit more comfortable you know, trying to establish the run early on, and especially the quarterback run. State was so successful a season ago. Fitzgerald had almost uh, 200 yards rushing against Auburn. You might want to try that thing. The, the thing with Stevens coming back is, and you've heard Moorhead say this, it, Moorhead doesn't want to rotate quarterbacks, but he's definitely not adverse to putting both of them on the field at the same time. And that gives you some interesting, you know, opportunities to, I think, in all likelihood, you would see Schrader behind center and, and Stevens split out wide and, and sort of try to set up some QB run stuff with that. But then eventually, you know, you can set up some sort of play action play there that I think would probably be open, uh, you know, if, if everything is executed properly. So I, I think the game plan would probably be a little bit more wide open with Stevens, but I don't think it would be a, a glaring difference between the two of them. Rippy Matt Luke has been generally transparent with regard to injuries over the last couple of years. That's kind of how he opens his Monday press conferences, talking about who's injured and who's not. How specific have they been with regard to Matt Corral and a rib injury? Well, it's bruised ribs. I don't know how much more specific you can be. Okay. So so they're just saying bruise. It's not a crack or a break or anything along those lines. So it sounds really painful. Yeah, so I guess it would depend on what he can do in practice. And yesterday it was obviously too painful to practice. He may have tested it before practice. I don't know that part. But, I mean, I don't know how much more transparent you can get. Yeah. Um, have you guys, have any of y'all ever dealt with a rib injury? I have. Broken, cracked, what? Just bruised. How bad is it? It hurts. It hurts because it like, hurts to breathe. Like to breathe? Yeah. I mean, especially, and just not so much, you know, football related, because you can pad that up and, and just sort of get through it, but just sitting down, standing up, I mean, you stretch your ribs when you do that. And it just, it bothers you every time. And like I said, mine were just bruised. Uh, I can't imagine a cracked rib or a broken rib. I mean, that's, that's, that's got to be incredibly painful. Yeah. Well, and, and again, to Rippy's point just a second ago, Ole Miss has called it a bruised rib. My assumption is if it hurts to breathe, then throwing a football and going through that motion yeah. would not be comfortable. Feels like a safe assumption. Yeah. You ever broken a rib, Borky? No, but um, right in the middle of my chest, I had a very small fracture that I played through like an idiot. Um, but breathing, everything was painful. I, I had to get – it was actually pretty cool. It was uh, this this special pad – and it was kind of about the size of the old thigh pads, not near a stick though, really thin. And they took it out of this package and stuck it on my chest, like right in the center of my chest I'm talking about. Yeah. And then held it there for like 30 seconds and it form fit my body. And they just took a wrap and wrapped it around my chest 
it, with this plate, basically, that form fit in front of my chest. And it, there was only two games left in the season. So after that, it was just like, let it heal and don't do anything stupid. But uh, yeah, it's not fun. Breathing's not fun. Playing, I can't imagine being a, a quarterback with a rib problem trying to throw. And I mean, it, it, maybe this is probably not a mindset that they would have, but if you have a quarterback that's not 100%, Especially if it's a midsection injury, do you run him out there if even if he can play in Tuscaloosa? No, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I certainly get where you're going, Rippy. Do you know if they like in the the treatment process have attempted the uh, the Mister Miyagi treatment? <laughs> no clue. Not that kind of doctor. <laughs> well, yeah, that that was big for Danielson, though. I mean, it was the All Valley deal, and I mean, he could he could barely walk and. When Miyagi, you know, and then does that make Tua Johnny in this instance? Tua, and that I can buy Saban as Sensei Crease. I'll totally buy that analogy. <laughs> Do you have a problem? I mean, if you can't see Saban saying "sweep the leg," I don't know what to tell you. But Sensei, I can beat this guy. I don't want him beaten. There you go. Uh, um, where does Grant Tisdale fit into the mix at this point? I think he's earned the chance to get rep or game reps if Matt Crowell's unable to go. So if Plumlee starts on Saturday, you would anticipate seeing Grant Tisdale in that game as well? At some point. I don't know that for certain, but it would make sense. I mean, I guess that's obviously depending on how the game goes. Oh, I would say that would, could probably happen regardless of how the game goes because the like final outcome is not really going to be in question. Yes, I understand. I'm, I was just kind of going like crazy out there. I mean, if things are going exceptionally well... With John Rice Plumley in at quarterback, then you probably don't make a change. But if it's just kind of flow of a football game, feels like you're probably ready to get a look at Tisdale in live action as well, right? Maybe so. I think they'd like to, if Corral can't play, I think they might like to see both of them regardless of situation. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We're going to move the question up. Six quarterbacks at the top of the Heisman odds. Down six, two minutes to play, ball in your own 25. Who do you want to lead the drive? We'll talk about that next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Six leading uh, Heisman favorites. Six quarterbacks at the top of the Heisman odds list. Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. Of those six guys, down six, two minutes to play, ball on your own twenty-five, one timeout remaining. Who do you want to lead the drive? Hit us up on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. Borky, you asked the question. I'll give you the first crack at it. I haven't ordered them uh, like you have, but I, I think I would go with Jalen Hurts uh, simply okay. because he's done it many times before. 
and you know that he can handle a moment in a situation like that. And on top of that, uh, just from a play perspective, uh, a lot of times when teams have leads and you're running a two-minute offense, they uh, will really only rush four. I mean, sometimes bring an extra blitzer, but most of the time they keep everything in front of them. And he's so athletic that not only has he been there before and he's got the right mentality, and even though people will try to tell you that clutch isn't a real thing, it's a very real thing, and he has proven that time and time again. He can run the run the ball. And so if if a pocket breaks down or nobody's open and defenses are playing back, keeping things underneath, he can go and beat you with his legs as well. So from a football perspective, I would take him because of that. And also just a intangibles, been there before, done it before, I would take him as well. Even though, and you guys will probably think this is kind of a hot take, I think Justin Fields is the most talented of the six, but he's got to prove it first. All six of those guys can hurt you with their legs, but Jalen Hurts is the most accomplished runner, right? Yeah, that's fair. What about you, hey, Dad? If I'm looking at this right, three of these guys have done this in their career, Burrow, Fromm, and uh, and Hurts. I think from that group, I gotta go. I gotta agree and say Hurts, uh, just because he gives you the added dimension. That, that, like you said, all these guys can run, but Hurts is a plus runner. If it breaks down, I like Hurts in the open field more than I like the other two guys. Okay, Rippy, probably Trevor Lawrence. Okay, I think he's the most talented. Second would be Joe Burrow. No real bad options here. There really aren't bad options. Um, we may be overthinking it in that. Well, well in I'm that different. He's right. It's Lawrence is the most talented guy. I, I ranked them one through six just because I was trying to think my way through this, and I changed it a couple of times, and then went back to what I originally had. Um, I got Jake Fromm at the top of the list. I love his composure. I love his experience. Uh, loved what I saw from him in that college football playoff semifinal game two years ago against Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl. You know where he made such big plays down the stretch when Georgia had to have them. They had a pretty good running game. Made some plays in there as well. Uh, and I feel like he doesn't make mistakes. Number two, I put Tua. Now. One, I have to assume he's completely healthy. The the only hesitation there is I'd love to know what kind of defense they're playing because I feel like Tua does not get pressured very often, but the only time we've seen him rattled a little is when he's either been injured or is dealing with big-time pressure in like from the defense. But the weapons that he's got around him and his accuracy, to me, that's the thing that, that that's so uncanny, is just how accurate a passer he is. I've got Hurts three, and I said because I watched him do it against Georgia in the SEC championship game last year. I mean, he came off the bench and engineered a game-winning drive. Really big stage. Uh, Joe Burrow is four on the list for me. Uh, and I think it's a lot because of the talent around him, but I, I like his attitude. It's like he just doesn't care. 
but like doesn't care in a good way. Not not doesn't care about the outcome, but he'll dive in there, you know, willing to run it, willing to throw his shoulder into a guy, whatever he's got to do. Trevor Lawrence fifth because of the pure arm talent. Going back to what Rippy said about being talented. And then Justin Fields is last, but only because I haven't seen it from him. I feel like with those other guys, I've seen them in high-leverage, high-pressure situations. I have not seen that with Justin Fields. Tell me where I'm wrong. It's kind of it's hard like to argue. They're just they were we're picking nits on all of these guys. I mean, they're all fantastic college quarterbacks. They're all super talented. They're all great in their own way. You, you, you can make a choice and defend it, and nobody can argue with you too hard. Bunch of responses from you on the ceasefire text line. Dawson and Iuka says Jalen Hurts. Here's one says uh, Jay Hurts, baby. Uh, I want from maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, I don't think you're crazy. Without a doubt, hands down, Tua. That's from Joseph. Here's another one. Jalen Hurts all day. Another one for Hurts. Terry in Has- uh, Hattiesburg goes with uh, Jalen Hurts. I don't get the Hurts thing. You know he got benched at Bama because of how limited he was as a passer. Hasn't he kind of put that to rest, though, with what he's done early this year? Has there been a quarterback to fail in Lincoln Raleigh's offense yet? I guess it's a bad example because they're two first-round draft picks that are uberly talented, but like, there is a reason he left Alabama. Well, I agree. But it's not like he got replaced by some ham and egger. He got replaced by a guy who might be the best quarterback in college football this year. Who's also an option here. Well, I get that. I'm just saying. Larry says, give me Trevor Lawrence or Tua, and I will win eight of ten games in that situation. Tua's national championship game last year is clouding my judgment of him, and it's not fair, but he wasn't good against Clemson a year ago at all. But there was two years ago also, right? Right. That was game-winning situation. Uh, Jake Fromm, smartest of the group, sees and understands defenses. I uh, I think they all do that pretty well. Hurts killed State both ways several times, particularly in that game that State should have won two years ago. He did it to Georgia last year in Atlanta. Ice cold, off the bench, Georgia could not stop him. Miles says, I'd go with Tua or Trevor based off their weapons, their line, and their talent. Who would be the winner if they all had an average offense to work with? That's an interesting wrinkle. That's more the genesis of the question, is all things created equal? I I guess I was kind of thinking about it from the teams that they've got around them. From a teams that they got around them standpoint, I would pick Tua. Because nobody has those receivers that Alabama has. Here's one says Fromm would be about number four on the list for me, but I respect your list, Cross. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, somebody went with Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> uh, LSU fan here. Gotta have Joe, but he spells Joe J E A U X. Billy says he doesn't think there's a wrong answer. Johnny Max says it's Jalen Hurts, and it's not even close. Is it not close? I don't know about that. Jacob in Columbus says Fromm is 
hard to argue with. Derek and Greenwood says those quarterbacks with Ole Miss's offensive line. I'm definitely going Hurts at that point. He's going to have to run. Run. Hurts uh, or Fields? Yeah, Fields might be a better choice, too, there. Fields is probably number two. He's a much better passer. Fields over Hurts as a passer? Yeah. All right, give me one thing that's wrong with each of these six guys. Jake Fromm, what 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 would be the one knock? He's the least mobile, I think. Yeah, but he can go get you thirteen yards when a when a play opens up. But you, I, I mean, mean, you said among those six guys, what's the flaw? He's the yeah. least mobile. Okay. Tua. He's the most fragile. Mistake Jay- prone compared to the other five. He's got 1,300 yards, 17 touchdowns, and no picks this year. Right, but they haven't. (laughs) I mean, they've played Duke and Southern Miss and New Mexico State. Come on now. Yeah, but still. But compared to the other five in pressure situations, he's more mistake prone. Jalen Hurts, what's the one not? Historically, his passing ability, right? He's the weakest passer. Right. Joe Burrow. Hasn't really been asked to do it. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence? He said that Burrow did against Texas. We'll Trevor continue Lawrence. this conversation. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Rob in Jackson. Tua is very, very good, but he is a front runner. He has not been in a tight position where he really excelled just yet. Let's be real. He had one good ball on a desperation play in the natty two years ago. It was desperation because he took a terrible sack on the play before. He didn't really play that well in that game. He was benched in the SEC game last year and played terrible against Clemson. Well, he was benched in the SEC championship game because he was hurt. And then Jalen Hurts came to the rescue and won the game that they were definitely going to lose if he doesn't get hurt. Well, but he got hurt on like the second play of the game. Still tried to play, though. He tried to, just was ineffective. Um, yes, terrible sack that, uh, that Tua took in the national championship game. You just can't do that. But that was not a desperation throw. That was a throw that was dripping with confidence and was dropped on a dime to win it all. Yeah, it's not the same thing as what you saw with Auburn and Oregon a few weeks ago. No. Devontae Smith didn't have to make uh, somebody, a play on uh, that Dawson ball. He just says, had to keep running. Say what now? So Devontae Smith didn't have to make a play on that ball. He just had to keep running. That's true. Dawson says, my two cents, if Jalen Hurts was at Ole Miss, we would be 4-0. Still wouldn't beat Bama, though. Yeah. Amanda in Pike County, Joe Burrow won't lose this week. And if he's not been asked to prove that he can run, doesn't that speak well of his line? He can run. He's been he's yeah. he's run the ball plenty. But he hasn't, you know, he has I think Borky was saying he hasn't proven uh you know this kind of a situation. But I, I would say that he did against Texas. Yeah, he was very good against Texas. Tim and McGee says Tua, Lawrence, or Hurts, any, uh, any of those three. 
Uh, Jason says flaws. Nobody knows how good any of them are when they aren't as a team three notches above anyone they're playing before New Year's. Yeah, but we'll get a we'll get a few chances to see this year. We're not going to get to see with Trevor because Clemson plays nobody, even in the ACC championship game, that can test them. You're going to get to see with Tua and with um, with Joe Burrow. You'll see Justin Fields in four weeks as well. It's at uh, at home, but Wisconsin in Columbus. Hmm. That's spicy. Oh, yeah. Will that be the big noon kickoff? That would be a shame if it was, but maybe. That wouldn't be a bad way to uh, start a college football Saturday, though. Uh, Tim and Tupelo says Alabama won't be in the SEC championship game this year. You know, you may be right, Tim, but I got to see it to believe it. Because I've been to a bunch of SEC championship games in a row, and pretty much the one consistent has been Alabama. There have been a couple of exceptions, but not many. That weekend, by the way, where Ohio State plays Wisconsin, this is a good weekend. You also have Auburn LSU, Oklahoma at Kansas State, which now suddenly is an interesting game. Notre Dame, Michigan, Texas at TCU, who was ranked until they lost. Penn State, Michigan State, Washington State, Oregon, Cal, Utah, State at AM that weekend. What weekend is that? That is the weekend of October 26th, week nine. Is that an open date for Ole Miss? I do not see them here. I think it is. The Halloween weekend? Yeah, or going into Halloween? Yeah, it's a bye week. Ooh. Enjoy that one. Oklahoma State at Iowa State. There's another one. God, that's a good weekend. That has farm, outdoor TV, bonfire, grill written all over it. (laughs) Sign me up for that. Um, somebody pointed out also Jalen against Texas soon. Yeah. Red, Red River game. Rivalry shootout, whatever it is they call it now. If you had to pick a jo- dream four to meet each other in the playoffs, what four would you prefer? I definitely want Hurts against Tua. I, that is a lock. So you want... Alabama, Oklahoma in the 2 3 game. Mm-hmm. Can I get Burrow and Fields? Can I get. Or Fields and Fromm? Fields and Fromm would be better. The, the only problem, I mean, yeah, if you're just dreaming it up, you can. Well, he said dream, dream Final yeah. Four. I was going to say, because figure out a way for Clemson not. Oh, Clemson's be, getting in. Yeah, in real life, Clemson's getting in, but. More than one SEC team in the Final Four or just one? I'm still sticking to more than one. You think more than one this year? Mm-hmm. Who's the second? Georgia. If Alabama's the first? Georgia. Even if they lose to Alabama in the SEC yes. championship game? Because I, think that's, I think that's their only loss. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Show brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. John Harris, J. Harris Football on Twitter, Houston Texans, HoustonTexans.com. John, I'm going to throw a question out to you that we were playing around with a few minutes ago. I think you'll like this one. The current six Heisman Trophy favorites are all quarterbacks. Best odds, first to sixth, Tua, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. If you have to pick one of those six guys, down six, two minutes to go, Ball at your own 25, one time out to try to go win, uh, win a big game. Which of those six would you take? That is a great, great question. Borky gets all the credit on this one. Michael, great job. I, oh, boy. I, the first thing, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is when I'm down six, there's going to be a time where the the pass rush is going to clash my pocket, so I want somebody that can get out of the pocket. But every single one of those guys can do that, so that's really not the 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 separator. Uh, I'll tell you what, Ohio State with Justin Fields at quarterback, it looks like a completely different offense than what they've been running. It just looks like it's at a whole different level. Um, but I don't think Justin Fields has really been tested in that sort of situation. The right. guy that comes to mind that I feel like might be the most equipped to handle that pressure is maybe Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. And I think some of this you take into account who's calling the plays. That down six, I think I might want Lincoln Riley calling my plays. If it's if it's me calling the plays, I think Jalen Hurts is a guy that I know I can rely on. I'll going to make some plays. I mean, a national championship game that they lost to Deshaun and Clemson, Jalen Hurts made some plays down the stretch. He gets that run in the end zone. He hadn't done much really all night, but he came up with a couple of big plays that put Alabama in the lead before Deshaun brought them back down and Clemson won the game. So Jalen Hurts is definitely, but the one that I feel like might be the most cool under pressure is Joe Burrow. I just feel like Joe, the way he's Hmm. playing, the groove that he is in right now, and the receivers that he has around him, I think Burrow might be the most calm, cool customer. So let's just say I got Lincoln Riley calling plays for everybody. Joe Burrow might be the guy that I pick down six. Now, if I'm starting an NFL team, that might be a different question. I might, I think you start with Trevor Lawrence and feel like that guy can take it to a different level. But we just, they've been so good that he's never really had to be in that situation where he's had to pull something out of the fire. We saw Joe Burrow do that at Auburn in a year that he wasn't tremendous not like he was this year but i think the addition of joe brady as uh you know quarterback's coach or whatever role he has with lsu has been fantastic for him because they put in that saints offense and joe burrow has taken to it like a duck to water now he's got three stud receivers with him jamar chase might be the one of the top three receivers in the country the way he's playing so i think i might go with joe burrow in that situation knowing that I'm leaving behind some pretty, some pretty good quarterback shrapnel, so to speak. But that's a really good question, Michael Borky. Nice job. I, I went with Jake Fromm, which never even came across your lips, and that may sound a little crazy. He just seems so cool under pressure and doesn't make mistakes. Like the stage is never too big for him. 
Well, Richard, I'll admit I'm 47, so I don't have maybe the best short-term memory, and I forgot that you mentioned Fromm. <laughs> but when you say him, it, you know, when you say Jake Fromm, I mean, that's the one thing I, I feel with, with Jake, and it, it's funny because we, we feel that with Deshaun here in Houston now, and I'm sure Clemson fans felt that. There was never a time you felt like you were going to be out of a game. And I think it's that way with Jake. Even though Jake might not put up gargantuan numbers, you just never feel like you're going to be out of it. I mean, the guy's been, you know, the, the old adage, you know, he's been a winner from the time he was little. You know, he takes his Little League team to the World Series. You know, he set all kinds of records, uh, you know, at Houston County and Georgia. And then he's gone to Georgia and he stepped right in. He's won some big ball games, helped Georgia win big ball games. And that was, it wasn't as if he was the lone guy put it on his back, but he was the guy that made key plays in big games, the Rose Bowl, the national championship game. Uh, Jake Fromm, you're right, is a guy that absolutely – you know, it's funny because I saw – I can't remember, somebody somebody did a mock draft. He had Jake Fromm in the first round. I was like, somebody's going to live to regret that because Jake Fromm's going to end up playing for somebody for a long time in the NFL, and they're going to be very, very happy with what they get. Even though the numbers aren't huge, I think he's going to be very happy. But the thing about both of our picks and Joe Burrow and Jake Fromm, we said it – they just appear to be so calm and cool under pressure that it doesn't seem like anything rattles them. And obviously you do it in the SEC, you're facing some of the best defenses that you're going to find anywhere. So I think that also adds to it as well. So, uh, yeah, Jake Fromm is definitely somebody that you would consider in that role for sure. John Harris, Houston Texans sideline reporter on the radio, does television and radio stuff in Houston and covers football all over the place. We talked leading up to the draft a lot about the receivers from Ole Miss a year ago. DK Metcalf ends up slipping deep into the second round, 64th pick overall. Are you surprised at all with what Seattle has already gotten out of him? Nope, not at all. I mean, you and I talked about it. We talked about it on there, off the air. And, and look, there was a lot made about the three-cone drill and, oh, he looks like an 18-wheeler doing a three-point turn and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, look, the guy, I mean, let the guy play football. I mean, you don't find a physical specimen. But I think it also speaks to, Richard, where a guy ends up. Where a guy ends up and who he has alongside him makes a huge difference. And he's got Russell Wilson. And Russell's one of the better quarterbacks. And, I, I listen, I've seen every quarterback – Every great quarterback in this league I've seen live, be it in joint practices or in games. Russell did things in the game that I saw that I still shake my head at what he's doing. And it makes sense because Russell would like to throw the ball down the field, and DK is definitely a threat doing that. And I think, you know, similar to, you know, when you have a young quarterback, you have a young receiver, getting him involved early, getting him something early. You know, getting him a hitch route, getting him you know, a deep route, just something early to kind of get his confidence. I think Russell did that early in DK's career. So now DK, you know, knows, um, you know, hey, I, I'm, I, am a, I am an asset to this Seattle Seahawks offense. I'm not surprised by this at all because I've seen, you know, every receiver in the league too, and I haven't seen a physical specimen like DK. And look, does he have the, the short area twitch that some guys do know? But you're talking about a guy 6'3", 225, that if you try and body him up, he's going to destroy you. And then he got with Russell Wilson. So to me, those two things make a world of difference. And he knows the NFL. You know he's going to be a good professional. And I said this about Titus Howard when Titus was drafted here. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, they drafted Titus Howard. What are they doing? I said, look, when you draft a guy, you know that a guy will never hit his floor if you know he's going to bust his butt, always be in shape, do what the coaches ask him to do, be a professional and then go out on the field and get better every single day and be a practice every single day. Those guys never bust. 
And to me, that's a guy, DK Metcalf is not going to be a lazy guy. He's not going to be a guy that, uh, he's not going to be a diva wide receiver. He's going to work his butt off. And he's going to get better at the things that he doesn't do well right now. And to me, those guys never bust in the NFL. They never bust. Uh, and I just felt like DK Metcalf in that situation, the expectations were taken off him basically by going in the second round. Um, and I think he went up there to a really good situation where Doug Baldwin was no longer there. Uh, Tyler Lockett is limited in some of the things that he can do. And so Russell Wilson was like, look, I got to rely on this dude. And I think DK found that out early. And I think Seattle is relying on him. This is not a surprise. If you really know the NFL and you know the type of player and professional that DK Metcalf is going to be and plan on being as he left Ole Miss. John, this is one of those kind of short segments, so we've only got a couple of minutes. Um, Buffalo and New England atop the AFC East, Baltimore in the North, you guys, the Texans in the South, Kansas City in the West. Are any of those division leaders pretenders in the AFC side of things? I think everybody would point at Buffalo immediately and say, oh, Buffalo's 3-0, and and they haven't beat anybody. They beat the Giants, and they beat the Jets, and then they beat the Bengals. But I'll tell you this about Buffalo, and Buffalo may level off a little bit and might start this weekend against New England. That defense, last year when I saw Buffalo's defense up close and personal, I was on the sideline. I, I had defensive envy. Those guys, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds playing in the middle looks like he's a small forward. I mean, he looks like he should be playing for the Rockets. I mean, he was. He, I couldn't even believe what I was looking at. And then you add Ed Oliver and that mix. That defense in Buffalo is going to keep them in games if the offense is kind of scuffling along. And Josh Allen's going to get better and better. So I think Buffalo might be still a year away, but Buffalo is probably the one you point at and go, yeah, not totally sure. And the other one to keep an eye on, I think, is Baltimore. I think Lamar Jackson, and, and we talked about it, I think Lamar Jackson's special. I thought he was special. I was not one of those that said he should play receiver because I've seen defensive coordinators lose sleep over that guy with the ball in his hands is trouble because I saw him have to deal with it with Deshaun, and I knew they would have to deal with it with Lamar. I just don't know that Baltimore offensively is all the way there yet, and I think that's what could hold them back. And defensively, they're not what they were in past years. So I think Baltimore is kind of one to keep an eye on, but I just don't know in the, in the AFC North who's going to catch Baltimore because the yeah. Bengals, not, not happening. The Steelers are way off the beaten path, and I think the Browns might be the team that could catch them, but the Browns are doing nothing right now. So from that perspective, the Ravens might be there just just because the Bills yeah, might be default. there because the Patriots. Interesting will be stuff. The Patriots team I've seen at least this far into the season. Hmm. John, never enough time. Always appreciate chatting with you for a few minutes. Have a great rest of the week. Absolutely, Rich. Thanks for everybody. That's John Harris from the Houston Texans Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. One of the best new phones is here, and C Spire is celebrating with a fully loaded deal. Buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. C Spire, customer inspired. Chris and Laurel has me confused with Brian Haydad, I think. He says, what a shocker. Richard Cross wouldn't take Burrow. I responded to him, I love Joe Burrow and love that offense. You got the wrong guy, Chris. Hey, Dad, I kind of came over to the um, the Burrow side of things a couple of weeks ago. Chris, I think you're looking for a reason to uh, like have a chip on your shoulder about LSU. Been pretty darn complimentary of that team. They're still angry about that 11 a.m. kick. <laughs> Is that coming next week? 
Yeah. I mean, that's purely because of Nick Saban, right? I, I imagine a lot of it is, yeah. Jeez. Um, man, what, what's going on in Knoxville besides losing? One and three, the one win against Chattanooga. Here's the slate Tennessee has over the next six weeks. Georgia, Mississippi State, both at home, at Bama, South Carolina at home, UAB at home, and just, oh, by the way, before you just immediately chalk that UAB game up as a win, careful. Careful. They they lost to Georgia State and BYU. I don't think you can just chalk anything up as a win for Tennessee. And then at Kentucky before an open date to finish on the road at Missouri and hosting Vanderbilt. And Tennessee just lost three more players. Story from ESPN.com. Tennessee linebackers Will Ignant and Shannon Reed and wide receiver Jacquez Jones have left the team. Jeremy Pruitt confirmed the exit of all three players earlier today, just a day after reports surfaced that Reed and Jones had entered the transfer portal. Ignat, a junior from Huntsville, started two of Tennessee's first three games and made 16 tackles, did not play in the 34-3 loss last week against Florida. Reed is a reserve player who had 11 tackles this year. And then Jones, a sophomore from Clearwater, Florida, had one play, uh, one carry on the year for nine yards. I thought he was a wide receiver. Maybe it was one catch on the year for nine yards. Tennessee has had five players leave the team since the season began. Wide receiver Jordan Murphy and defensive back Terrell Bailey departed after the season opening 38-30 loss to Georgia State, who was a 26-point underdog. None of the five players, by the way, were recruited by Jeremy Pruitt, for whatever that's worth. Problems in Knoxville. Big problems in Knoxville. Seems like people are thinking a little more soundly with the idea of, oh, Phil Fulmer's coming in. We've almost used that as like a joke, that Phil Fulmer would step in. But if this thing really spins out of control for Tennessee, if they lose to Georgia and State and Bama, they're one and three right now. That gets you to one and six. South Carolina, probably one and seven. Maybe that's a definite maybe. What if I say they split South Carolina and UAB? I could believe that. So that's two and seven with three to play. A road game against Kentucky, a road game against Missouri, and then Vanderbilt. Three and nine. They're not going to run Jeremy Pruitt out, right? After two years? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be totally shocked. No, I wouldn't be either, but... 
how do you ever expect the program to get moving in the right direction if you fire a coach after two years? I mean, un- unless you are just absolutely 100% con- uh, convinced that it's not going to get better under Jeremy Pruitt. Don't you have to take your medicine and just realize that it's going to be bad for a couple of years until you completely flip the roster? Seems like it's a group of people that have an overinflated sense of what their football program is. I mean, they think they're on the same footing as Alabama, and Nick Saban won a national championship in year two at Alabama, so they think that there's no such thing as a rebuild and a turnaround at Tennessee that you come here and win exactly right away and there's no alternative but the thing is if clay travis doesn't lead a crusade against john curry then they're not in this situation because greg shiano would not be this bad and mike leach would not be this bad maybe they're not the long-term solutions that are going to win national championships I, i love mike leach i don't think he would ever win a national championship coaching anywhere really he just doesn't recruit well enough he also has been hindered by the locations where he's been a head coach but still it He has not really elevated the recruiting profile so much at Texas Tech or Washington State. He's just a good football coach, but you got to recruit to win in the SEC. Even with all that being said, either of those two guys are not in this situation right now at Tennessee. So if it wasn't for a loudmouth radio host and a coup, they're not in this bad of shape. So they really Travis was just a mouthpiece. How do we certainly know that Shiano wouldn't be bad at this point if it's the roster and everything else? I'm not saying that's a hundred. Like I'm not saying he would have necessarily lost to both BYU and Georgia State. But how do we know for a fact that that would like the program would be in infinitely better shape? I don't know if it'd be infinitely better shape, but Greg Shiano, with what he's done and his track record, tells you that he's probably not losing to Georgia State in year two at an SEC school. Georgia State turned around the week after and almost lost to Furman. That is not a good football team at their level that beat Tennessee. Shiano won at Rutgers. The thing for me is... In 2009. I I always believe a a good coach gets guys to buy in. He doesn't run them off. Because you can only sign 25 a year. You can only have 85 on the roster. Running guys off doesn't... I mean, unless they're an absolute cancer, which I don't believe you got five guys here. Are they all that bad? No. A, a good coach gets players to buy into what he's doing to improve. And, and this, to me, is the sign of a bad coach. Isn't not it, that I needed more evidence after him losing to you know BYU yeah. and Georgia State. No, I, I get that. To, to me, the, the the fact that they were just completely non-competitive Saturday against Florida is almost an even bigger issue than losing to BYU in overtime. It was in overtime, right? Or was it the last play of regulation? It was in overtime. Yeah. I think Kalani Sataki is moving things in the right direction, and they've got some talent on that roster, and... Yeah, BYU played tough with Utah. I mean, obviously the Georgia State game, fairly inexplicable. And they didn't belong on the field with Florida last week at all. Did not belong on the field with them. Yeah, and and, and that's the one. I'm not asking Tennessee to go beat Florida right now with where they are as a program. But to, I mean, that's a rivalry game, and it's been an important game for a really long time, and 
just completely non-competitive. Against a Florida team, it's just kind of plodding along and winning every time they step on the field. I've yet to look at Florida and go, man, that's a good football team. But they're just rolling out there and winning, and winning, and winning, and winning. Rippy, do you think it would be unprudent or imprudent to get rid of, to make the coaching change after year two? I mean, generally, yeah, that's probably a pretty bad idea. But if they go three and nine or whatever with losses to Georgia State and UAB, yeah, I, I mean, it wouldn't be unheard of. I probably wouldn't do it, but whatever. We live in an impatient world. Yeah. Doesn't Phil Fulmer have to look at this situation? I mean, he went. At, he's the one that went and hired Jeremy Pruitt. Why is it any sort of answer though? Him coming back to coach on the field that makes no, no it's sense. It's not an answer. It's not. Just kind of sounds like something com- he would do. Yeah, right. but I don't think he's going to come and like try to rebrand his legacy taking over this team. I mean, he's smart enough to look at that team and go, they're awful. I don't want any part of that. But wouldn't he like stand by his guy? You think? Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Michael Casagrande from AL.com covers Alabama. Some people call it Rochambeau. Others just call it rock, paper, scissors. Why would Alabama wide receivers be playing the game in the middle of a game? Michael, do you have the answer for uh, for this? Yeah, I guess they somebody uh, somebody has to get the the deep ball. Uh, there's a best uh, democracy, the most democratic way of doing that is to play rock paper scissors. So uh, like every every once in a while, I guess those guys will hash it out that way since they all know all the routes uh, that that will be part of the play. They, you know, from what the receivers and two have said today, that they uh, that's kind of how they how they handle it. Olivia Whitmire, who is a uh, sports reporter at the uh, Huntsville TV station, caught that on video in the uh, the game against Southern Miss. If they get bored with rock, paper, scissors, do you think somebody will bring different sized straws uh, out onto the field on Saturday? Yeah, I have a feeling that that, that tradition might be might be coming to an end now that uh, now that the public knows about it uh, <laughs> and the way that opposing teams could be scouting and. Uh, binoculars who can who wins uh, whoever wins the rock paper scissors will then get the uh the, the double coverage so uh, you know this might be a fun one week story but uh you know once once it reached the light of day that might be the uh might be the end of it is this one of those things that will rub Nick Saban the wrong way and he'll turn it into something really serious or can he be cool about it it's a good question because i guess it's you know Nick Saban of a decade ago, you would probably have no doubt about it. Uh, but you know, it's the kind of thing where there's there's the um, the push and the pull of you know coaches, players, and having fun, not having fun. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a very good question. I'm curious. You know, um, I'm, it would probably be tough to get a, a straight answer out of anybody about this kind of thing. Um, but just truly how he was behind the scenes when he found out about it, because he, on the immediate teleconference today with the SEC, he said he had no idea what he was talking about. 
uh, the story's been out there for two days now. So, um, you know, what the truth is, I, I'm sure there's somewhere in the middle, but I'm sure it's, it, it could be interesting. Okay, Michael. So, so you've been around the program for a long time, and and you've covered Nick Saban for a long time. And when it's convenient for him, he plays the card of you know he's just buried and getting ready for games and preparing for the opponent. It just feels like he doesn't miss anything, though. So, do you buy into the idea that when he gets in game mode, he's locked in? And everything that exists in the outside world just goes away, or do you think he knows everything that's going on? I think he knows more than he lets on. I don't know if he knows everything, uh, but uh, you know there there are people that are assigned to let him know what's going on in the world and the world outside the bubble uh, of Tuscaloosa and his football complex. So you know, just like anything, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't think that he is completely oblivious to the world. I, I would have to imagine that someone of would have queued him up to this rock paper scissors story in the you know in the last two days, but maybe not. You know, who knows? <laughs> He's a I know an interesting and uh, uh, oh I don't know what the right word is. Uh, it kind of rises what? and falls with as the days go by, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Um, we, we know we knew going in to this season that Tua Tagovailoa was really good. Uh, and knew that he had great weapons all around him. Did you see this level of production for the offense through the the first four games of the season? It's hard to say it's that surprising, just given the the level of competition. They really, I mean, they haven't played anybody yet, so um, they haven't had a defense that could truly test them. You know, whether it's getting consistent pressure on them or, or having the, the kind of secondary they can cover those kind of guys, so. You know, it's it's been kind of it's it's been kind of unfair to to watch the the defensive try to try to stop this offense with just I mean first round talent, um, you know, in the quarterback and and four receivers. So you know, it's the kind of thing where ask me and ask me in November, ask me in December, and well, you know, we'll it'll be more hashed out by that point. Michael, I was having a, a conversation with Ryan Brown a, a few weeks back, and was just kind of looking at the the depth chart for Alabama. And obviously they deal with the draft every year, and some seniors graduate. But it looks to me like next year is a year where there may even be more turnover on the roster than is normal for Alabama. Is it as simple, even when you're replacing a a Ruggs and a Judy and Tonga Vailoa and multiple linemen and running backs and everything, is it as as simple as just plug-and-play year after year? Or is there going to come a point somewhere where even if it's not a big step back, Alabama takes a step back to ten and two? Yeah, I mean it's it can't be sustainable on this on this level for for you know forever, obviously. But I mean, yeah, next year when we talked about this, you know, internally with you know some of the reporters, yeah, it's it's next year is going to would seem to be especially um, a big hit to the entire offense. Um, you know, if Najee Harris has a good year, you lose your top running back. You're most likely going to lose your top three receivers and your uh, generational quarterback. So, um, you know, that's 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 a big hit to take. And you know, you can fill in for with younger people, but um, it's 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 the kind of thing where where it really looks like next year would would be the opportunity for someone to pounce if, if the time was right. So this Alabama team, if you've got to look at them and say, 
e- even with the caveat of they haven't played anybody, that I, I don't know it's fair to call it a weakness, but an area that is less prolific. Is there a specific position group that you point to? Is it linebacker because of the injuries? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's really hard to to overlook um, the impact of those injuries and the depth and the experience that was that was lost before the season even began. And I think we lost Michael Casagrande. I don't know if his cell died or a phone just battery went dead or what, but uh, I think he was headed down that road of, of of linebacker issues. And it's really a couple of years in a row where it's been serious issues at the linebacker position, the most significant this year, uh, obviously Dylan Moses. Now, when you look at results so far this year for Alabama, it's not like they've even been tested so far. But there's going to come a point this year as Alabama gets deeper into their schedule. Obviously, that Saturday in November is one that everybody is is looking at when they get LSU. And then the the game against Auburn. So, Michael, when we lost you, I, th- I think we were, you were yeah. kind of talking about linebackers, and and obviously Dylan Moses is the the biggest loss this year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. That was that was huge, uh, and the, the the impact of that. It probably won't be felt until you know you get right into the teeth of the schedule. But that's losing him. Um, he was kind of the one guy, and I had written about it before the season, maybe a week before he went down. But there was one guy they couldn't afford to lose. It'd be Dylan Moses, and then it happened. So um, you know, South Carolina is maybe the one offense that had the ability to to do some things, uh, and they definitely looked like they schemed around taking advantage of the two true freshmen playing middle linebacker. So it's the kind of thing where. You know, the tape, they'll, they'll gain experience, but there'll also be tape of, you know, weaknesses that could be exposed that the future offenses can take advantage of. So, um, that's definitely going to be, you know, what to watch moving forward with this team and when the competition level goes up. Michael, have you been in Nick, um, Nick Saban's crosshairs at any point? Have you asked one of those questions that, that hit him the wrong way at the wrong time? Oh, yeah. I mean, shoot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was the guy he called rat poison. So, you know, I've, I've been around long enough to get to get that, that treatment. I didn't realize you were the rat poison guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, this would be a rat poison question, but is it as simple that the regular season is about two games this year for Alabama, G- given the result of the, the Auburn game at A&M last week, that, that it's really about LSU and Auburn? Yeah, you hate to simplify things that much because every time you think it always looks, you know, anything looks so simple that something crazy happens. But it's it's really hard to to picture anything outside of those two games being the real the real you know hurdle. And those are two serious hurdles at this point. The way those teams are playing, and you know, playing Auburn on the road and LSU with the motivation of losing every time they played since 2011. So, you know. Um, yeah, it's going to be you know an interesting November for sure. But um, you know, I'm sure no one around here is overlooking October and in September. Uh, there's you know there's always something in college football. There's always that that game that you don't see coming. So um, yeah, I guess that's the way I see it. Because of LSU's success offensively, will this be the most anticipated Alabama LSU game in what five six years? No, oh, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's crazy when you think about the nine six. Les Miles, Nick Saban, run the ball, run the ball. You know, it was almost old-fashioned, you know, 
truly, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, Big Ten style, compared to, to what it's going to be this year uh, with, you know, two spread offenses putting up, you know, two and, and Joe Burrow are two of the top uh, quarterbacks in the country on all the statistical categories. And the other third guy up there is Jalen Hurts. So it's kind of one of those things where you, if you were to look into the future, five, six, seven, eight years ago, it would be outrageous. But, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, all things headed towards a pretty wild first Saturday in uh, November around here. Ole Miss and Alabama coming up on Saturday, 2.30 in Tuscaloosa. Michael, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Great. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Michael Casagrande, AL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at ByBYCasagrande. More Sports Talk Mississippi coming up with you after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Wildcard standings in the American League. The Athletics are clinging to the first wildcard spot. They are one game in the loss column ahead of Cleveland and one game in the loss column ahead of Tampa Bay. Right now, Oakland's got the first spot in the American League. Tampa Bay has the second, and Cleveland is one win behind Tampa Bay. So nothing's going to be decided in the American League tonight. The National League wildcard race could end. The Nationals have clinched a spot. The Brewers are five ahead in the loss column of both the Cubs and the Mets. Mets came from behind last night to win to keep their extremely slim playoff hopes alive. One win by the Brewers, and it's over. Or a loss by the Cubs and a loss by the Mets, and it's over. So the the magic number for Milwaukee to lock up the second wild card spot in the National League is, well, to lock up a wild card spot in the National League is one. Only thing likely left to be determined on the National League side is who hosts the wild card game, the Nats or the Brewers. And then on the American League, it could go to the final day, right? It could, as far as which teams get in as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you've got three teams playing for two spots with the A's, the Rays, and the Indians. Time right now for the Pearl River Resort Pick of the Day, brought to you by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge at the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. Yesterday we gave you Milwaukee as a winner, and it was a winner. Let's go with the Atlanta Braves tonight. Atlanta minus 130, 135 on the money line. They are playing the Royals in Kansas City. We'll take Atlanta with Josh Tomlin on the mound against Mike Montgomery for Kansas City. Minus 135 on the money line. Still got a chance to get, right now you got three teams with 100 wins. Remember we talked about that, the the most 100-win teams in any single season in Major League Baseball history is three. You currently have three with the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros. The Astros are sitting at 103. The Yankees are sitting at 102. And the Dodgers are sitting at 101. Braves currently have 96 wins on the year. So basically to get them to 100 would take them winning out. So they'd have to win their final four to get to 100. And potentially you could have Minnesota get to 100 as well. They've got five games left, and they're sitting at 97. I don't know why that's compelling to me, but 
have just kind of latched onto that storyline. You guys excited about the baseball playoffs? Borky? Uh, not at the moment. I could probably get drawn in, though, if yeah, I listen to you guys and get a storyline or two to follow. I'm counting on the days to the start of the NBA season, and I promise I won't bring it up again today. A month from today, right? Yeah, I believe so. They start uh, training camp here shortly, and then preseason games, which, I mean... At least for my sake, the Pelicans are are selling out their one preseason game, which is pretty incredible uh, to go from where they were to where they are right now in just a few months. But um, certainly nobody else cares. Hey, Dad, with the with the um, Giants not in it, playoff baseball doing anything for you? Not so much. No, I'll be rooting against the Dodgers. That's about it. But when you get to the ALCS, NLCS, that doesn't just kind of grab you and draw you in. Nah, nah. Especially if the Dodgers are in it, I just I can't stand to see them prosper. Wow, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? Yes, I will watch all of the baseball playoffs. I'm I'm with you, big time. And I think the division series have got a chance to be fun. Do we do we have a guess on? Let's see how does how does it break down? So in the American League, the team that finishes with the best record will face the wild card game winner in a five game series? Yes. And then the next best record will face the other division winner. So as it stands right now, you would have the Astros against either Cleveland or Tampa Bay and the Yankees against Minnesota. Wild card rematch from a couple years ago. Yankees in Minnesota? Yeah. Was, Yankees handled that series. It was just a one game. It was a wild card game. Okay, that's right. It's a wild card game. But in the postseason, the Yankees have been really good against the Twins. Not so much in the regular season. Um, Which would be scarier for the Yankees to deal with the Twins or the Astros to deal with the Rays or the Indians? Probably the Twins because they hit so many home runs. If they have a five game, particularly in a five game series, like there's not a whole lot you could do. Kind of the same way if you face the Nationals in the National League, you get Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin. Like good we're, luck. We're staring at Braves Cardinals in the NLCS, aren't we? Dodgers. Dodgers like wouldn't better. take the wild card CS? game winner. CS. I'm sorry, division series. Uh, yeah, probably yes. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Our buddy Ross Dellinger from Sports Illustrated joins us right now. What's up, Ross? Hey, guys. What what game are you covering this weekend? I've got kind of a home game up here in D.C. I just jump on the Metro 25 minutes to College Park for uh, uh, Penn State at Maryland. Uh, and it's a Friday night game. And then Saturday, uh, instead of jumping on a plane or something Saturday morning, I'm just going to stay home Saturday. But I'll be 
Friday night, uh, be able to see the, the Nittany Lions and the Terps. Is that a sneaky good game? Well, I would have felt like that had Maryland uh, showed um, a little better, had a little better performance at Temple. Uh, you know, they, they opened the season scoring 79 points on Howard, uh, and there's a lot of teams that could have probably scored 79 points on Howard. But then, you know, they they got a big uh, win against the next week in Syracuse, you remember, started ranked. Uh, and they scored like 63 points or something. They scored like 100 and whatever points in two games to open the season. They went to Temple and lost, I think, 20 to 17. So I don't know. It, it, you know, that loss to Temple kind of took a little, <laughs> took a little, uh, um, uh, juice out of this one. But, you know, um, you never know. You, know, you never know what, what will, uh, what will happen. Um, so it, it's supposed to be a rowdy environment. I know it's crazy to say about Maryland football, but, but they're bringing in like extra seats. They've sold out. Um, so it should be, it should be interesting. Yeah. A little bit of a buzzkill on that one. Fascinating story over the last two days out of Houston. Um, a couple of players, including De'Eric King, the quarterback for Houston, uh, going to redshirt the remainder of the season after playing in the first four games of the year. A um, little bit differing explanation when it comes from Dana Holgerson or De'Eric King or De'Eric King's dad. Uh, what do we do with this? This this feels like a strange situation, and it feels like an awfully tough sell to the other seniors that are on the football team. Holgerson kind of bristled at the idea of uh, that they were throwing this season away. But that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? It is bizarre. Um, I've been in, uh, in April, and so I talked to some people there yesterday, and it, it is really one of the most bizarre things I have ever seen in college football. Um, and maybe we're going to start seeing it more of it because this is obviously and they're, they're taking advantage of the, the red shirt rule where you can play four games and still red shirt. And they're doing it in, in the most unique way, <laughs> unusual way I've ever seen. But maybe we'll start seeing more of it. You know, I think there's a lot of things going on here. One, um, uh, Derek likes college. Um, you can imagine being a, uh, a quarterback, uh, you know, your star quarterback on campus. He wants to get his master's degree. He wants to stay in college. He didn't want this to be the last year and then go to the pro level. So I think there's that. I think – Two, Dana and Dana mentioned this to me in the spring. He wanted more time with Derek. He wanted he thinks he could really be really really good, and he wanted more time. So this will certainly give him another year uh, if he stays at Houston. Um, in in three, I just think Dana feels about his team that they are uh, a lot of the guys should have been redshirted as freshmen and they weren't. And so I think you're going to actually see more players. On Houston's team, probably end up redshirting, uh, but but I'll tell you all this: I, I, I'll believe it when I see it that he's going to be there in 2020. You know, because his dad came out and said that stuff about him transferring, and this is such an unusual thing. Tell this all this you know press conference yesterday with the AD and all the quarterbacks, and he firmly said, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be back next year. That this is just a developmental thing, you know, get the academics in order, or whatever. Um, man, it's it's weird. It's all very weird. But hey, you know, if uh, he sticks around, I guess 
I guess it'll maybe pay off from next year experience-wise. But you're right about this year, man, Richard. Uh, uh, it almost does feel like a kind of a punting on the season situation. I'll tell you this, I don't think Dana would have gone along with it and agreed with it had he not had a quarterback that he trusts. I, I do think he trusts, and I think they, they believe this backup quarterback is, is a pretty decent player. So we're going to see. Well, and, and maybe De'Eric King does. Maybe this is genuine, and, and we're all just cynical because we cover college football and spend so much time talking about it, and, and it gives us reasons to be cynical all the time. But if I'm De'Eric King and, and I go back and I read the quote that Lincoln Riley had about me and I look at his track record of what he's doing with quarterbacks and, and think about that stage, I mean, it just kind of feels like the way that Oklahoma's gone through quarterbacks with grad transfers and guys coming in and playing for arguably the most dynamic play caller in the country, that would make a lot of sense. Well, that's that's the thing. And you know, when I was talking to somebody yesterday at Houston, I, I told him, and y'all have to fight off, you know, fight off some of these coaches who have who have a a, a veteran course senior quarterback or a really good junior quarterback who's going to lead after this year, who has kind of a you know these big major conference programs, not just in Oklahoma, but what about like in LSU, for instance, four hours from mm-hmm. Houston, Joe Burrow is going to be going. I mean, there's a lot of programs out there. Uh, at the major college level that are set up to win. They just need a plug-and-play quarterback, and we see it happen all the time. So, And I, I told this person, watch out, he's, he's going to be recruited. And they said, look, when the news broke earlier this week, his phone lit up with coaches So immediately. I mean, it was just a <laughs> drop of the hat. As soon as it went on Twitter, coaches were lighting his phone up. And that's just gonna, it's gonna continue, I think. You, 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 it's gonna continue. So they're gonna have to kind of fight off coaches for him. There's no doubt. Yeah. Uh, were you the one that was holding the LSU offense back? I mean, th- those years you had in Baton Rouge and they <laughs> still weren't all that impressive and you're gone and all of a sudden they look like, uh, I don't know, the Houston Cougars from the Andre Ware days. Uh, I, yeah, it was all me. It blamed me. Yes, something else for LSU fans to blame me about, uh, <laughs> to get on me about. I, um, it is, it's, it's, and, 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 you know, we heard it for six or seven years. We heard, and with less miles, and then even Ed Orr's first couple of years, hey, we're blowing it out. You know, it's gonna, we're gonna spread it out. No more fullback, no more tight ends, you know, four or five receivers, shotgun. We heard it every year, it seemed like, every spring practice specifically. In this past spring practice, before I moved from Baton Rouge to D.C., where I was still there, right now, you know, basically living next to campus, um, I heard it. You know, you heard, oh, they're doing no huddle. You know, they're not huddling at all, and they're going shotgun, and they're spreading out. And lo and behold, it, they actually are doing it. And um, it's still shocking to me not to see them play. But you know what? They, uh, it was a heck of a decision by Ed Orgeron. Uh, a risk-taking one to hire a 29-year-old, you know, had never been a coordinator, was really like a GA for the Saints to come on and kind of overhaul the offense and Joe Brady. Um, and yeah, then, you know, they got the quarterback to do it. Let's let's not forget that, of course. They they got the quarterback to do it finally. Um, and, and, of course, they've always had the receivers to do it, you know, and so here we are. I said yesterday, Ross, and, and I know you, you've you been so much closer to the program. I'm curious to get your reaction to this. The reason that Ed Ogeron has allowed this to happen is because of the implicit trust that he has in Steve Ensminger. Do you agree with that? Yeah, he does have an incredible amount of trust 
and Faith and everything else in Steve. Uh, they, you know, they go way back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Little do people know, uh, Steve was uh, in Ed's first wedding, I believe. Um, Tommy Tuberville was in that wedding, too. That was an interesting <laughs> wedding to be at, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. But that was when uh, Steve, I think, was co- or Ed was coaching down in Miami. And they go way, way back, and um, and they trust one another. And, you know, that was a big deal with the Matt Canada experiment in 2017. You know, Ed did not trust Matt Canada. And he trusts Steve, and he trusts the collaboration between Steve and Joe Brady. I think, you know, they kind of call plays uh, together, the game plan together. It's a conglomeration there. Um, and he does. The trust is huge. With, with Ed, I mean, uh, you know, you, you see some of the hires that he's made since he's taken over LSU. A lot of the guys are, are guys he's trust to go back with, you know. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's that's how it is uh, with him. He's just that sort of guy. So I think that's a huge part. Throw one last thing at you. Borky asked this question today, and I think it's the best question that's come up on this show in a long time. Six cur- uh, quarterbacks are currently at the top of the Heisman odds. Tua, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm. We've only got 30 seconds left. Of those six guys, you're down six with two minutes to play ball on your own 25. Which one of them do you take to lead that drive? I am probably taking Tua. Um, he was my Heisman kind of pick going into the season. Um, I've just I've seen him in person so much, Richard. Mm-hmm. Uh He's probably the best I've ever seen in person, um, and that's that's coming after that championship game last year that he, he struggled with. But 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 you know those guys are all good. But I'd probably take him. I'd probably lean that way. Ross, always appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. All right. Tomorrow, Sports Talk Mississippi will be on the campus of Northeast Mississippi Community College in Boonville. Is it tight? As the Tigers renew their intense rivalry with the Itawamba community. <laughs> Rippy, you're killing me over there. Sorry. Uh, they uh, renew their rivalry with the ICC Indians. Broadcast brought to you by Juco Weekly. Go to JucoWeekly.org for Juco score stats and news. Super Talk Mississippi in Boonville for Northeast and ICC. That is tomorrow starting at 3 o'clock. Borky, you ready to give away some tickets? Yeah, we got to figure out a way to do it now. I think we got a way. No uh, winner yesterday? Yeah, we had a winner yesterday. Okay. Yeah, he emailed me this morning, was really appreciative for whatever that's worth, and he's going to a concert now. And I'll give you an Ole Miss trivia question today. We'll give you a Mississippi State trivia question tomorrow. This is your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Miranda Lambert concert in Tupelo on... January the goodness, where was it? I had it right here. January sixteenth. Not going to be a caller. It's going to be a. Uh, we're going to go go trivia. All right. So, Ole Miss, Alabama. Hmm. Let's see. Most rushing yards by an Ole Miss running back against Alabama in a single game ever. Who was it? We'll go simple. I'm not going to ask you to... I'll tell you how many yards it was. 188 yards on the ground. Most rushing yards by an Ole Miss running back against Alabama in a single game ever. Who was it? 
If you're the first person to text that answer on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, then uh, you'll win a pair of tickets to the Miranda Lambert concert in Tupelo at Bancorp South Arena on January 16th. Hey, Dad, are you going to work on a Mississippi State-Auburn trivia question for me for tomorrow? I sure can. Okay, let's do it. We will uh, we'll give away a pair of tickets. Had somebody text me the answer. I don't know if he needs or wants tickets or not. We'll see what we get on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395. 188 yards was the uh, single-game rushing record against Alabama. Who done it for the Rebels? Bunch of text already in, by the way. All right. Are they? Yep, 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 yep. I see at least one correct answer. So uh, go ahead and say it then, and I'll tell you who was first. Deuce McAllister. It was Daniel. In 1998 against Alabama, October 10th, 1998, 24 carries, 188 yards, an overtime loss. It was in Tuscaloosa, 20 to 17 in overtime. So that the I forget that kicker's name. Is that that game though? That kicker that really narrowed it down for me. What are you talking I, about? He missed like two or three field goals in this game in a game against Alabama for Ole Miss or for yeah. <sighs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Ninety-eight. Don Juno. Donald Juno. <laughs> I have not thought of that name in a long, long time. Is that him? Is that, the, is that that game? I don't remember Deuce, if it is or not. With Deuce getting 188 yards, you'd think that Ole Miss would have won. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, but Ole Miss has not I, won very many games against Alabama through the years. Man, I I, 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 uh, I sympathize, and I, and I know that feeling. Yep. Last two came in, uh, what, 14 and 15? Oh, Ole Miss has had to, uh, that's right, they had to vacate the uh, 23-17 win in Oxford. Yeah. Did they also vacate tearing down the goalposts? Yeah, I don't know. The Ole Miss fans who have the pieces were required to go back to Vaught Hemingway and put it back together and raise with a, it. With a, a welding tool. Yeah. Uh, so the win in 2014 was the first for Ole Miss against Alabama since 2003. When Eli Manning was quarterback at Ole Miss, they won two out of three. They won uh, in 2001, 27-24 in Oxford. 2003 in Oxford, handily, 43-28. to The close win in uh, 2014, and then that crazy game in Tuscaloosa in 2015. Ole Miss has won only twice in Tuscaloosa ever. Yeesh. First time they won in Tuscaloosa, 1988. It was the uh, the dedication day. For the Bear Bryant Museum, Ole Miss won that game twenty-two to twelve, and they rededicated the museum at a later date. No joke. Could not have Bear Bryant Museum dedicated on a day when they lost the game, so they rededicated it down the line. I respect that. Do you? Yeah, you you lost the game. Do it some other time. You know what's crazy about the 14-15 game? People forget about 16. That was kind of the last stand for the 2016 team. Ole Miss lost that game 48-43 in Oxford in 2016. Mm-hmm. They were really close to reeling off three in a row. They were, well, they were up 24-3, right? Yes. Yes, I'm glad everybody remembers that. 
You remember all of Ole Miss's difficult losses, don't you, Haydad? I remember a lot about college football. I'm sorry that I like the sport and have kept up with the history of it. Mm-hmm. I remember some of, of Ole Miss's great wins. Yep. What was the what was Ole Miss's lead against Florida State? Twenty eight six or something like that. So they led twenty eight six in the season opener in sixteen against Florida State, yeah. and led twenty four three against Alabama in Oxford. And that was in a span of three games or four games. Four. They beat Wofford and Georgia in between. No, you're wrong. No, no, no. It may have been it was Wofford, Alabama, and then Georgia. Yeah. yeah. How do so, you remember yeah. that? I've got the uh, my, my my man Jay Howell's website pulled up right this second. It's got all. I was about to say I was there and don't remember the order. <laughs> I've, I've, I've I was got working I've got the games and I don't. <laughs> I've got I've got it online right here. I could not have told you that Ole Miss played Wofford in week two. DK's Metcalf broke his ankle or broke his foot or whatever. Okay. The mighty Terriers. That. They are the Terriers. They had some sick white and gold uniforms. Like gross or they were awesome? No, they're pretty awesome. Sick means good. Yeah. Millennial stuff, you wouldn't know. Fair enough. DK Metcalf doesn't break his ankle against Wofford. Does Ole Miss beat Alabama in week three? Oh, I don't know. They gave up 48 points. I don't think DK Metcalf would have made too many tackles. No, but I mean, yeah, offense wasn't the reason they lost. And that defense was getting torched by Georgia Southern by the end of the year. Yeah. Chad Kelly got hurt in that game. Yeah. It was not a good year against bad teams, was it? No, and then there was some weird game in Arkansas, and then there was, yeah, interesting year. Was that in Fayetteville? It was. That was the last time they played in Fayetteville. How did that one go? The the, the crazy losses to Arkansas have just kind of all run together. That it one went wasn't the same, that crazy. It went the same as all the Ole Miss losses that year went. They had a lead and couldn't hold it. Yeah, that one wasn't as big of a lead, though. It was kind of back and forth-ish. Arkansas yeah. scored late. Chad Kelly did. Chad Kelly almost fumbled it forward for a first down to extend that drive on a fourth and 16. And I remember it. that, yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Was, um, was that the one where Arkansas had the pick six that went to the house? Santos Ramirez or something like that? I'll take your word for it. It's a fact if you want it to be. Uh, that might have been two years prior. It did happen That's, at 14, but... I think there was a pick. Oh, six that was in, in the rain, too. Borky. Yeah, and, and that Ryan was when Buchanan Ole Miss got in that one. Yeah, that's when they learned that they had to go get a quarterback because they had to go get a quarterback. And that's how yep. Chad Kelly was born. There you go. This group think is working well for me. You're, you're piecing together. <laughs> There's a bunch, that eight of, pain, a bunch of painful. We can losses. rebuild him. We have the technology. There, there was that 8 o'clock game at LSU that wasn't really that, that close. I think that was the one where Leonard Fournette at one point had like six rushes for 253 yards in the third quarter. Where he, where he He's averaging like 28 and a half a carry, something like that. Yeah. Hey, here's a number for you about Ole Miss. All right. The Rebels have allowed 70 or fewer rushing yards in three straight games for the first time since 1999. That's good. Certainly an improvement. Yeah. What's not is Chase Garber's looking like Manziel. (laughs) He may have thrown it better than Manziel did. And he did it without Mike Evans. That's a good point. 
which is uh, all the more impressive, I uh, I suppose. Let's look at some nuggets from uh, Mississippi State and Auburn as the uh, Bulldogs get set to head to Jordan-Hare on Saturday night. Should be a really good atmosphere for that game. Um, it's going to be hot on Saturday as well, so uh, maybe you catch a little bit of a break on the, uh, the heat as well when the sun goes down on Saturday night on the Plains. So we'll look at some Mississippi State-Auburn nuggets when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Last year against Auburn, Nick Fitzgerald through the air was 9 of 17 for 69 yards with one interception. (laughs) And Mississippi State won 23 to 9. Yep. 349 yards on the ground, an average of 6.1 yards per carry. Nick Fitzgerald had 28 rushes for 195 yards and two touchdowns. Kylan Hill had 23 carries for 126. Aries Williams had five carries for 32 yards in the game. Auburn jumped out to an early 3-0 lead. Mississippi State kicked a couple of field goals, got a uh, touchdown run from Fitzgerald, another field goal from Chrisman. Auburn kicked three field goals in the game. Anders Carlson hit from 47, 38, and 24, and then Fitzgerald with two minutes away, put it away late with a 21-yard touchdown run. 23-9 was the, uh, the final a season ago. Do you have any thought at all that Saturday night's game at Auburn could look remotely like that game did a year ago? Not unless Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Abram, and the rest are coming back for this one. I don't think that's going to be the case. Uh, I just don't have any any faith in State's ability to to stop the Auburn running game and dominate that game. You have the box score pulled up there, I assume? Uh, Yeah. Read me the time of possession. Mm, Let's see. Here we go. 41-53 to 18-07. Yeah. I'm not a big believer that time of possession determines who wins games. This isn't the 80s anymore. But when it's that big, the team with the 41 minutes won the game. And that's exactly what happened. I I generally am a believer in run the ball, stop the run. Mm -hmm. Tells you who wins a game. That was not the case in the Ole Miss Cal game on Saturday, which is, I mean, it's really rare. Especially when you, I think Ole Miss ran for like, 170 more yards than Cal did. I'm just doing that off the top of my head. That may not be accurate, but it was a bunch. It was in the triple digits. But last year, 349 to 90. Yeah. You went almost every time doing that. But this is a totally different Mississippi State uh, defense, and it's a really different Auburn offense. You know, Bo Nix provides them a running threat that Jarrett Stidham did not. Uh, True. And so, you know, they, they are a better running team. Mississippi State is a worse running defense, rushing defense. So I expect the Tigers to have some success on the ground on Saturday. Some notes for Mississippi State so far this year. Kylan Hill, you know he's been good. How about this? 316 yards after contact this season. Most in the SEC, fifth most in the country. So after there, contact is made with Kylan Hill, he's still gone for 316. There are sometimes watching him that I think – He's running towards contact, to be totally honest with you. Well, yeah, so he can hurdle him. I mean, yeah, it's just, he just runs angry, man. 
Daryl Williams, in 29 starts, has allowed one sack in his career. Yeah, hey, Dad, we thought coming into the year that that was probably going to be a good transition. I know that's something that Mississippi State was confident in, moving Daryl Williams into the middle of the offensive line. That has to have gone better than anybody would have imagined. Yeah, I mean, Daryl Williams, I mean, I knew he was a good player. He was really highly ranked on some draft boards, you know, after his junior year as a potential guy for this the 2020 draft. Uh, and this has just shown the kind of versatility that, that he has. Smart guy. Uh, he, it really has been a seamless transition for him. I thought watching the Kansas State game, and I feel like some of the numbers back this up, but I would be curious to see what you think. Brian Cole has been, if not the best, certainly one of the best players on the defensive side of the ball this year. Do you agree with that? Yeah, he's played really, really well. Uh, very active, good blitzer for for a defensive back. He does a good job supporting the run and playing near the line of scrimmage to the point where I'm honestly surprised at, at the position they play him at. They play him at what they call the star, the the fifth DB in that four two five set. I would think with his speed, you don't want him back there at free safety. Just let him roam the field a little bit more. But he's definitely thriving this year, and, and you know having a, having a pretty good season. You, do you think that's because of his ability to help stop the run? It, it, it has to be. I mean, I, and it's another thing with the suspensions. I don't know what the secondary would look like if Marcus Murphy were eligible to play in all the games. Hmm. Garrett Schrader coming off an SEC Freshman of the Week award. He made his first career start, accounted for 305 yards of total offense. First MSU offensive player to be named SEC Freshman of the Week since Ladarius Perkins in 2010. First overall since Leo Lewis in 2016. And the first ever true freshman quarterback to earn the award at Mississippi State. Tyler Russell got a Freshman of the Week award, but it was as a redshirt freshman back in 2010. So Garrett Schrader, first ever true freshman quarterback to be named SEC Freshman of the Week. He's an exciting young player. and uh, We talked about this on uh, tomorrow's edition of the Thunder and Lightning podcast, but I'm, part of me is sort of, I'm not saying I, I want Tommy Stevens to be hurt or anything, but the idea of Schrader and Knicks, the two freshman quarterbacks going at it, is interesting to me. And I think that would be that's a good storyline to follow if, if we end up getting that matchup. Bulldog defense has continued its takeaway streak 20 consecutive games, second longest in the country, started on November 18th of 2017 when Mississippi State uh, was playing Arkansas uh, in Fayetteville. During the stretch uh, of 20 consecutive games, a total of 38 takeaways. That's been a big part of Bob Shoup's defense, and I guess it comes from being aggressive. Yeah, and, and this time a year ago, you know, Shoup was lamenting the fact that he, this team wasn't getting a lot of turnovers. They would get maybe one a game, but he felt like they should be getting more. This year, that's been sort of what's helped Mississippi State in a lot of these games, and their three wins for sure is they've been able to force turnovers and you know, get, take the ball away at opportune times from from the other teams. And when you're not as good up front, when you don't have a guy like Jeff Simmons eating up two or three blockers for you, when you don't have Montez Sweat coming around the end, you, you need to be able to force takeaways. And that, that goes back to what Moore had told us about bend but don't break, which is a phrase I'm not a huge fan of. But for Mississippi State, it, it has really been sort of the, the, the way it's worked in these first four games. You want to be part of the conversation, you can uh, do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395 is the number, 601-879-4395. Prepaid by C Spire going big for back to school still with special deals, including a like-new iPhone 6S for just $49 
and a daily $500 giveaway. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid cspire customer inspired. Um, we, we kind of bounced back and forth uh, between Ole Miss's game with Alabama, and, and I don't know that I don't know if we're doing a disservice or it's just the reality, but it feels like breaking down the matchup between Ole Miss and Alabama is just a little bit of an exercise in futility. Yes. <laughs> Here we go, Borky. I mean, he's I not keep back some of the, I keep coming back to something Rippy said prior to the, the season about how you know Ole Miss has lost this last two years, you know, sixty six or whatever, and this is one of those games where. You just if you're gonna lose, you need to lose better. Can you find a way to lose forty two to seventeen? Something like that. Well, I your general point about what I was saying is definitely right there. I think they would get a little more of a pass this week because that I mean, particularly with Alabama's offensive offensive talent. Like I don't think they'll be graded on anything this week. I agree with generally what Hey Dad's saying, but I think that would fall more squarely in line in games against the I mean, LSU's turning into not as great an example, but LSU, Auburn, A&M types of the world. But certainly this week, like you don't need another 66 to single-digit type of deal. Two years ago in Tuscaloosa, 66-3, to and certainly it felt like Nick Saban had an axe to grind in that game. Last year in Oxford, 62-7. to That's 128-10 to for those counting home. Pretty good math, not to brag. It, it was 7 nothing Ole Miss at one point, though. Okay, so they gave up sixty-two unanswered. Great. I'm just, try- you, 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 I'm just trying to give you all the bright spots here. You said I was if, I was being negative earlier. If this if this game was played, Alabama scoring in the high forties or low fifties, and Ole Miss in the teens, does it feel different than those last two felt? I mean, probably not a ton, but might look a little different. Depends on how it looks. That's fair. 55 nothing, 10 points in the fourth quarter, and not so much. Yeah, what's the score at halftime in that, in that situation? Yeah. I, I kind of I'm kind of on board though with with what Rippy has said a little bit in the fact that Alabama's offense, right? I mean, even if Ole Miss is better offensively this year against Alabama, this is not a team you want to get in a track meet with. Because they're so explosive and they've got Three NFL wide receivers, an NFL running back, maybe the first pick of the draft at quarterback, and first and second round offensive linemen. It's that Alabama defense that you think maybe gives you an opportunity to have a little bit of success in the game. What do you think Ole Miss's offensive game plan will be going in? Who's playing quarterback? Intermediate passing game, run the ball decently well. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.